Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today from our gospel reading. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. This is our text. Who knew that preaching could be such a dangerous job? Fortunately for the pastors at St. Lawrence, our congregation isn't quite as tough a crowd as those people in Nazareth. About the the worst that's ever happened during one of my sermons is uh, just getting some blank stares and occasionally a nodding head. Okay, maybe more than occasionally. We know that Jesus is the greatest preacher In all of history, what caused such a hostile response to his sermon? From people from his hometown, even. That's what we want to dig into a little bit today. I invite you to use the sermon notes that are in your your service folder. We'll fill in some of those blanks right away. We're going to start by looking at the passage from Isaiah that Jesus read in the synagogue. That section identifies him as being a man on a mission. That's what the word used in Luke chapter 4 says. The Greek word there sounds a lot like our word christen, as in the christening of a ship. And you may know that's uh, the ceremony when a ship is not only named, but is also dedicated to its task. If we look at that word christen, we can see Christ. That's because Christ is the the Greek word for Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for anointed one, which is how Isaiah 61, what Jesus read in the synagogue, is translated. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The one anointed by the Lord to do the things prophesied by Isaiah is therefore by definition the Messiah, the Christ. And that's what Jesus tells the people in Nazareth that he is up to. Their response is interesting, isn't it? At first, Luke tells us that that everybody spoke well of him and, and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Part of me thinks Jesus should have just left well enough alone. They were treating him like a, like a local lad who has done well. Maybe he should have just gone with that. But then they started expressing some surprise about this. I mean, they had known Jesus from little on, and, and they couldn't remember that there was anything all that special about him back then. So, so they started asking, well, wait, wait a minute, is, isn't this Joseph's son? And then everything went downhill, literally. As soon as the townsfolk were done jawing, they took Jesus out and, and wanted to throw him off a cliff. Why? How had the situation deteriorated so quickly and so badly? 
The answer lies in large part because Jesus was a man on a mission and he refused to let anybody else define for him what that mission was. The people in Israel thought they knew what his mission was. It was at least what they wanted it to be, but it's not at all what he knew it to be. So it's fine with uh, the people in the synagogue there if, if the Messiah wanted to set at liberty those who were oppressed, as Isaiah had prophesied. Well, that was them. They had been suffering greatly under the Romans, and, and they had waited long years for the Messiah to come and rescue them. But Jesus' words in that tiny synagogue in tiny Nazareth were not just about them, the Jews. His sermon had global implications, and they didn't like that at all. He was telling them that the Messiah was coming not just for them and not to rescue them from those Gentile Romans. No, his mission included saving the Gentiles like the Romans. He references then two individuals, the, uh, the woman, the widow from Zarephath and Naaman, the Syrian. Do you know what those two have in common? They were both Gentiles. And Jesus is pointing out to the people who were listening to him that, that it was those Gentiles, not the Jews, whom God had treated so kindly through the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Now, since we are Gentiles, we like that, don't we? We, we like the epiphany season, and, and properly so, with, with its emphasis on the fact that Jesus is Savior of all, Jews and Gentiles alike. That didn't go over so well with the Jews living in Nazareth or in any of the other villages in Israel, actually. Well, like happens with us so often, they were focused on themselves and, and their families and their friends. Now, before we go any further, I think it might be helpful to explain a couple things from uh, the gospel reading. The first is, is why Jesus was given the microphone in the first place. You know, at St. Lawrence, we have pastors visiting us here almost every weekend. We don't typically invite them to come forward and, and to say a few words. That's not our custom. But it was the way they did things back then. Visiting rabbis like Jesus are often invited to read in the synagogue and, and to expound on that reading. I don't know if you caught it in the Old Testament lesson, but, but many look at that part of Nehemiah and say that's, that was the beginning of the synagogue. The people gathered to hear the word of, of God read, and then also it said in that reading that, that the word was explained. It was, they gave the sense so the people could understand. And well, that's what Jesus is doing. And you know, in, in that way, actually, I think we could say that he was given some honor by the people in his hometown. Really, he was being treated almost like a celebrity. We have a, a little bit of a parallel with that going on in, in Frankenmuth right now with Greta Van Fleet. Uh, the, the four fellows from Frankenmuth who are taking the world of rock and roll by storm. 
Every time they're playing pretty much anywhere in Michigan or, or when they're on Saturday Night Live like they were last Saturday, Facebook just blows up with pictures and comments. Well, of course, they didn't have Facebook at the time of, of Jesus, but you know, it wasn't needed. Word traveled extremely fast. And even though it had been 30 years since some of these events had taken place, the, the people in Nazareth would have been well acquainted with, with Elizabeth and, and her miraculous son, John, who, who was now baptizing people. Or Mary and her miraculous son, Jesus. Family members and, and friends would have talked about what Simeon and Anna said about Jesus when his parents took him to the temple 40 days after his birth. Or when he returned 12 years later and spoke with such wisdom and understanding. Now, it looks like in the 20 years or so since then, Jesus kind of flew under the radar. He went about his business pretty quietly, didn't call any attention to himself. But now, things were starting to happen. Back home, they would have heard about that voice that came from heaven at his baptism. And, and we know that they had already heard about some of the miracles he was doing because he mentions that that they were aware of, of the miracles he performed just up the road in Capernaum. So it was not out of the ordinary for him to, to stand up to read or, or to talk about the text. They expected that. It, neither was it unusual that he sat down in order to teach. That's not the way we do it, but it was the typical posture back then. So to review, Jesus is a bit of a celebrity in his hometown, and at first the people treat him as such, even though they can't quite figure out how they missed that while he was growing up. But they were warming up to the idea. And then the next thing you know, they want to throw him off a cliff, which raises another question. Why did they not stone him. That was the, the usual punishment for blasphemous words such as they thought were coming out of Jesus' mouth. Bible scholars will offer a couple of possibilities for why that was. Um, some think, well, they, they just lost it. They, they were so enraged by what he was saying, they, they, they weren't thinking. They just took him out and were going to toss him down the cliff. I don't really go for that one myself. I, I think the next one probably is a little better explanation. And that is, you know, it wasn't really either or. That if, uh, if you could throw somebody down a hill or a cliff and then stone that person, so much the better. If I were to throw, I'm not going to do it. If I were to throw this at people in the front row or maybe even in the second row, my aim would be more accurate because I'm throwing down and, and maybe somebody would be immobilized depending on how far they had fallen and so forth. Plus the uh, projectile would be going with that much more speed because gravity would accelerate it, and therefore it'd be that much more deadly. Well, all of that is interesting enough, I suppose. What does it have to do with us? What, what's the significance for us? We like application for our lives. Except, you know, sometimes the Bible tends more towards illumination than application, which fits in very well with the Epiphany season, which is all about illumination, shining the light of God's word, his truth, on two incredible truths, and these are in your sermon notes as well. The first one is that Jesus is God in the flesh. 
Now, of course, we spend time during the Advent season and at Christmas talking about that. The Epiphany season goes about it in a different way. As it demonstrates Jesus' divinity by recording for us the miracles, at least some of the miracles, that he performed in his earthly, uh, his earthly ministry. Like the voice at his baptism or last week's gospel reading, changing water into wine. The second great truth of the epiphany season, first one is Jesus is God. The second one is Jesus is for all, for everybody. Well, that's how we started the epiphany season, with the, the, the Gentile magi coming to worship the infant Savior. There is some application, though. The man on a mission has also given us a mission. At our baptism, he anointed us and sent us out to live for him, to show how beautiful it is to live with Jesus. Members of our St. Lawrence congregation will recognize that as our long-time mission statement, showing others how beautiful it is to live with Jesus. Students in our school uh, can pick out one word from that mission statement because that's the theme for our school year. And that word is, what do you think? Beautiful. How beautiful it is to work in partnership between church and school. As we begin National Lutheran Schools Week, we have the opportunity once again to reflect on the, on the so valuable contribution that our school makes toward the mission of our congregation. We could talk about that in all kinds of ways, but I'm not going to talk about it too much. I'm just going to show you. Pretty much every day I walk by a group of pictures in the hallway of our school. There's nine of them there. Each one of them is of a different group of students. Students who, for whatever reason, came to St. Lawrence but had not been baptized, but during that school year were. So I'm going to show you those pictures now and see if you recognize any of the students. going to go through them one more time, and I want you to count the number of kids in those pictures. How many did you get? What? You're not speed readers or speed counters? Well, fortunately for you, I took the time to count the number of faces in those pictures. So this was over nine years now, and the number 65. We're going to add to that. We've already got 11 this year. They're not pictured yet because we're just in the middle of the school year. 65 students baptized at St. Lawrence School or from St. Lawrence School in nine years. Beautiful. I guess you could say that, that through our church and our school, we are joining Jesus on his mission. Amen.
And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.